Welcome to the Inspiring Leadership podcast series. This is aimed for you aspiring leaders, whatever level you're at, whether you're beginning out in your careers as managers and leaders, whether you're in middle ranking roles, or whether you're CEOs and chairman of boards, there's always something we can all learn. And it's particularly the skills, stories, tips and techniques that you can pass on to those you lead and your teams. And welcome to my favorite time of the week. And uh, I'm here from uh, Snowdonia, where I'm joining you and breaking the holiday. But we're very lucky to have uh, Nick Hine. And Nick, I met through uh, my wife, uh, Lee Bowman-Perks. Uh, Nick very kindly has given uh, wisdom and advice to the Inspiring Leadership Trust Charity for Vulnerable Girls. He's a very generous man of his time. But, uh, Nick, you bring a wealth of experience. And that's what Ben and I were excited about having you on this series. Your, your primary 30 years of employment law experience is incredibly invaluable to us. But, but just the, the wealth of different things you've done. So you began life in merchant backing. Wasn't that a marvelous old name in the city of London before the Big oh, Bang? Gosh, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's great to have you here. Um, you also were a Met Police officer for seven and a half years. Um, yeah. You did your law degree. Uh, you became a barrister. Then you became a solicitor and you specialized in employment law, tribunals, uh, and, and people with also different contracts and things that go on with employment law, which at the moment is actually very timely for many people at the moment. We're going through a lot of changes we've been talking about with COVID-19 and the world of work being very different. But when you're not busy as you are giving people sage advice on employment law and how to get good deals and you know make sure their contracts are sound and watertight, um, you also sail the Atlantic um, and uh, enjoy skippering that. Um, you also like skiing, and Austrian described you as being pretty good for an Englishman, uh, which means you're a standing skier. Um, you have a house uh, with your family in Italy, as well as being in this country, though you haven't had the chance to visit it during the lockdown, um, yeah. but a wealth of experience. So, Nick, welcome. It's lovely having you on the series. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, well, Ben and I are looking forward to this. And let, let me, we'll do a double act between us, but um, let me let me firstly begin with now. You know, tell us a bit about your current role and some of those important aspects of the role and what you do to help people. Because people listening to this, all our CEOs will be very interested in the kind of skills that you bring. Yeah, so I run a, an employment law boutique called Hind Legal. And really my role is to uh, help clients and, uh, in, well, basically companies and individuals who have a diverse range of employment issues they may need help with. Particularly in lockdown, uh, initially it was a lot of help with companies because of the furlough scheme and the new uh, initiatives that the Chancellor was putting in place. So that took a considerable period of time. And then as time went on, actually, we've been having to do a lot of uh, collective consultation and redundancy exercise for companies as they have regrettably, unfortunately, realised that even if we have the furlough scheme, uh, they're not going to be able to afford to continue to pay the number of people they've got when it ends. And then more gradually, now we're having a whole host of more individuals coming to get advice as their company is starting to deal with them uh, as a result of the ending of the or, or tailing down of the furlough scheme. So really throughout the crisis, it's been fairly busy. What we're really about, though, is providing that commercial, practical, user-friendly advice for companies and individuals. What they want is a solution. This is the problem. How do I solve it? 
and uh, it's not being too lawish about it, but also practically understanding their their business and what they need to achieve and then really helping them achieve it. Yeah, because I imagine just anything in the law, it's constantly changing and there's certain quirks and things that people don't understand. And, and you and I had a discussion recently where an organization was not really thinking through um, yeah. what it needed to do to get rid of one of its senior executives uh, and help them move on successfully without too much drama. And they just hadn't really thought through the consequences, yeah? Yes, and what we try and educate clients is, look, it doesn't necessarily cost a lot, but pick up the phone, get advice early, because the earlier you start dealing with it in the right way, the easier it's going to be and the less problematic it's going to be. So moral of the story is get advice early, be prepared, and then you know your options, your risks, and what you need to do to achieve your objective. Yeah, that, that resonates with one of the other leaders who said, you know, bad news doesn't get better with time. You know, when there's a no. problem, um, deal with it. Don't don't try and hide it and think it might go away because yeah. it doesn't. And I constantly do this uh, in my work because, um, you know, one of the things of advice is, look, deal with the problem sooner rather than later because if you bury your head in the sand, it'll just come up. A, a more time-consuming problem uh, and and you know there are lots of people and I often do this when I do this sort of performance management lecture is why pay someone a, a salary to do a crap job when you can pay someone the same amount of money to do a good job and how many people are there in your organization who aren't very good frankly and not worth the money and why yeah. haven't you done anything about it and so the, the sooner you do deal with people like that, because that's what probationary periods and things like that, trial periods are for. If they're not going to be right, and as I've done it in my own organization, deal with it early because it's never never going to get better. This is so true. And it also resonates with uh, one of the CEOs said a bit of advice to me years ago, which has stood the test of time. Uh, and I've asked other CEOs about this. When they've, when they've got a problem with someone, I say, what is it you know now about them? You know it now. But you're going to find out in 12 months' time. But you already know it. Yeah. And they go, oh, yeah, he, he, he or she is never going to make it. I say, well, no. look, why are you waiting 12 months? Yeah. Act yeah. on it now. Help them find their happiness elsewhere. And, yeah. and let them leave with dignity, with a, a fair arrangement between you both. But it's just admit now rather than some of these people don't sleep for properly for months and months because they haven't addressed the issue. No, your gut feels often right. If your gut feel about someone is, you know, this person isn't really going to make the grade, they're not really what we want, then you need to deal with it. Yeah. As I think uh, my friend Paul Chapman used to say, make a decision, uh, head, heart, gut, and wallet. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think that's a, a good way of thinking about the four, the four quadrants. Yeah. Well, look, let's talk about crises, um, and particularly the COVID-19 that we've been in since March. Um, it doesn't look like it's going away soon. It's just morphing and changing, and the world of work is very different. You mentioned furlough. You talked about redundancy and the future of work. What, how, how is the crisis affecting the clients that you're advising, and, and what bits of advice would you pass on to those listening? Um, well, I think what seems clear to me and to many others is that things aren't going to be right for some time. They may not be back to normal for 12 18, 24 months, and even may not even be then. So yeah. you need to plan ahead as a business as to what you really are going to need in this crisis or what you're going to need as you come out of the crisis. And therefore, can you really afford to retain the people you've got? 
And if not, then you need to do something about it. And I know it's a horrible thing to, to say, but businesses have to be lean and they have to adapt to the current circumstances. Uh, we also have to adapt, as many of us have done, for working from home. Uh, I uh, am sure I'm not alone by a lot of people are thinking, well, why have I got an office? Do I really need an office? Are we really going to go back to the office in the same sort of way? And I think that's quite clear because the government are now trying to encourage people to go back because city centres are a bit like ghost towns. And when I've been into central London a few times, it has been very quiet. And, you know, when's it all going to change? So I think they need to really plan ahead. They need to adapt to can people work from home? What office do they need? What environment do they need? And also using new technology because we've all got used to Zoom and Teams and all sorts of technology like that. And actually that's worked quite well. So I think businesses need to be flexible, need to think outside the box and what they really need to do to plan ahead for the next two to three years. Mm. At least. Very wise. Very wise. And what else? Uh, how have you found the, the crisis has affected you personally and um, and those, those clients you've been dealing with? What have been some of the issues? Uh, well, personally, um, I have adapted to working from home. I probably was one in the camp that I didn't really believe in working from home very much because I think if you want to create the sort of right sort of team culture and spirit within the business, you need to be in the business. But I've had mm -hmm. to change to that. And I think other uh, clients have found the same. Uh, obviously, I've had to get used to new technology. Perhaps um, with my grey hair, I'm not so used to the new new technology as, uh, as many others have been, but we've got, got used to it. And also uh, thinking about communicating differently with your own team and, and within businesses, because, you know, if you're not there every day and talking to them, you can't reach over the desk. So how do you then communicate? How do you keep that team spirit morale going? How do you keep the communication going? And uh, really, it's adapting to the new working environment. And I think we've all had to uh, get used to that and to, and to change accordingly. Yeah, yeah very good. That, that probably well, comes you. on to our next question quite quite well. Um, just sort of looking at how that that impact has happened, um, it's really has probably brought um, brought people into quite uncomfortable, difficult situations in their in their own sort of leadership and and, and how they adapt. Mm -hmm. So we, we always sort of ask our people on 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 the show um, what you feel makes a good leader and and, and uh, any leaders that have really sort of inspired you um, in the past. Yeah, I had uh, thought about this, um, and I, I, I thought of uh, a few people. I think uh, Winston Churchill was a great leader. I think how he led the country through World War II and had the resilience to carry on and to um, really make us help succeed in that sort of crisis. Um, I think the Queen's been a very good leader, an example to the, in the country, and that may be old-fashioned. Uh, David Attenborough, I think, you know, he's a national treasure. I think the way he has <laughs> led the climate debate and, you know, that may have stimulated other people like Extension, you know, uh, Extension Rebellion, things like that. Yeah. What um, are we going to do without him? <laughs> well, I agree. Uh, and yeah. he's he's done so much, hasn't he, for mm. educating people about the climate and the, the planet, etc. Um, I then think there are some very good leaders in the sports field. Um you know, Clive Woodward, the Rugby World Cup, led England to that. And actually, I've heard him speak a few times. He's quite an interesting mm -hmm. leader. And how he likes to have um, make his team like sponges so mm -hmm. that they are constantly wanting to absorb new information, 
to be the best that they can be. I mean, he was the first one, for example, who gave all of these uh, big rugby players laptops when he first became uh, head of the team. Hmm. And he wanted them to Google and find out about other players and things like that. And I remember someone laughing about uh, the fact that they see all these uh, huge rugby players trying to play with a laptop <laughs> and with fingers and things like that. But it, it did help them. They wanted to be absorb and get extra knowledge. And then uh, I think also another great leader at the moment uh, is Toto Wolf of the Mercedes Formula One team. And I think what he has done for that team over a number of years and the successful championships. And you, I, I watch Formula One quite a lot and some of the background information. He doesn't drive the car. He doesn't make it go faster. What he does is he's pulled that team together to be an mm. exceptional unit. And they just perform week after week after week to a, an excellent level. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, I, I, I've been inspired by my father, who um, did very well in the services. And it's probably through him that um, this sort of uh, you get a life where you put into it the hard working attitude, mm. um, being prepared. And, uh, you know, a good leader is someone who leads from the front and inspires his team and makes people want to follow them and to make do an excellent job with their mm. bit of the team and what they can perform and, and, and contribute. Yeah. Yeah, I always um, always think that uh, being able to instill that that um, feeling of wanting to work hard rather than, than than having to make people work hard is 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 a real talent um, that, that the great leaders have. Yes, and, and the, you can't you know as an individual you can only do so much. But if, if everyone is working in that way, you can have a fantastically performing uh, team, and that's really what most leaders are really trying to achieve. I think. Yeah, yeah. So, so on that, what team has really inspired you, um, and and why? So it can be a team that you've worked with, or or, or one that you've you've witnessed. Well, I've, I I mean, I um, I think we had a very good employment team at Thomas Egger, a firm I was at years ago, and we really uh, worked well together. We were in different offices, but we worked well together and uh, uh, rapidly increased our turnover and the reach of clients and so forth. Um, I think I was uh, in the police. I was part of some what we call reliefs teams. And I think uh, some of those teams and the things we had to deal with, um, particularly if you're um, doing things like riot squad duties and having to go to serious public order events, you need people to really pull together and work as a team in order to uh, achieve the objective to make sure people aren't injured and you're, you're looking after the members of the public, etc. cetera. Uh, and then, of course, um, you know, in the, when I did the Atlantic, I was um, the skipper of that team, but we had really prepared and we went through every eventuality and, uh, you know, the whole aim was to enjoy it, but to successfully get to the other end without any injury or breakages or things of that nature. And, and we kind of achieved that, but that was not just me. It was everyone playing their part and doing the bits that they were assigned to do so mm -hmm. that when you come together, you achieve the objective and and do it well. Yeah, I think um, Don listens to the, to, to the show just about every week. Hi, Don. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for uh, joining us. And in the words uh, words of Sir Alex Ferguson, hard work is a talent too. So I think he's mm -hmm. uh, agreeing with um, what, what you're saying there. Yes, I, I I'm not a um, massive football supporter, but I agree. He was a brilliant leader, wasn't he? he look what he achieved. But he didn't achieve it straight away. It took him a number of years at Man United. 
Yeah. And I think a number of managers now aren't necessarily given the same length of time as perhaps he had when he first started. But certainly he's been an inspiration uh, to, to a lot of people. Yeah, I think that's a good point you, you raised there. Uh, and it's, it's my next question, which is really learning from mistakes. And, and we get better uh, from the experiences we have. And experience comes from mistakes. And um, uh, often people are not given a second chance. I've been loving the uh, book uh, Sea Stories by Admiral, um, uh, goodness, McRaven, William McRaven, who did a superb um, video talk, which you find on the internet, called First Make Your Bed. And he wrote a book called First Make Your Bed. Inspiring. You'd love it, being being sea. He's a Navy, Navy SEAL. But, he, he said, you know, he made a mistake when he was a squadron commander. He was given a second chance. He does believe in being given a second chance when you've made a mistake. If it's a third or fourth, fool on you because the person keeps making mistakes. But if it's a second chance, uh, what would be your story, um, that you, Nick, that you would talk about where you, you personally, as a leader, got it wrong? What was the story? And what did you learn and how did that shape you today? Um, yeah, so I struggled a bit with this, but um, I think I think recruiting the right people for your team is quite a difficult thing to get right. And I think over the years, I've recruited people into my firm who I thought would be right for the role. And in the end, they turned out not to be right. So I, I got it wrong. Um, I think uh, from that, uh, I've learned to do a lot more research about people and also to get others involved, so you get other people's opinions. So a lot of people sometimes they just have one interview and then somebody else interviews again. But they, how far do they go in terms of background information and things like that? And also, people now leave a, an online footprint, which uh, people are now able to discover and look back and see what they've done in their past life. And therefore, you, there's a lot more information out there about people. And I think uh, one of the lessons I've learned is um you know you need to do that research and really drill down because otherwise you can get it wrong if you you're just superficial about it and then you know i've made i've made mistakes you know um, um perhaps in my police career the things i did that were that were wrong and that um not not in a criminal way or anything like that but um you know when you're dealing with members of the public you could handle certain situations better and you learn from your mistakes about that you know and um one of the things i did learn from the police was in talking to all sorts of different people from all walks of life you learn to adapt the way that you deal with people to ensure that you you, you can get that rapport or or communicate with them so you then don't don't end up in difficult situations i remember once been going to a flat where um a lady had alleged that her, her partner had um, assaulted her. I got into the flat and the guy locked the door and came at me with a knife. And in those circumstances, you kind of learn, you, you know, your biggest weapon is your tongue and your head and how you talk to people and how you try and uh, talk them out of it or talk them down and calm the situation down uh, in order to, um, well, make sure that you can deal the situation and not end up uh, being knifed. Mm, God, that's a hell of. How did you get out uh, of that one? Go well, on. they, 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 I, I, I got on the radio uh, to get some help, but I also talked to the individual, and the woman was trying to hold him back as well, and he 
he'd obviously had a lot to drink and we did manage to calm him down and then of course he was arrested and taken away and all of that sort of stuff and then of course the woman dropped her, her allegations so this is quite 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 often happens people are afraid of taking it further yeah yeah which is the back to the link back to the charity with people who modern day slavery yeah. abuse trafficking yeah. um, that they don't they don't want to um shop as they say their abuser and yes. uh, yeah. they, they um would rather withdraw and, and carry on living with someone who's abusing them yeah and the other thing is i think also uh you've got to bring people with you uh you can be a leader and lead from the front but you've got to bring people with you, you can't just say i'm i'm doing it my way this is the only way you know you've got to people will understand why you're doing it and why you want to do it that way and you've got to bring them with you because mm. otherwise you 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 can lose them and in that way, uh, you won't have a high-performing team. You'll have a, a rotten apple in that team or someone who's holding everyone else back. And yeah. so you, you have to learn about that and man management and, uh, you know, getting people in the right wavelength. Mm. Well, ben, ben and I often said, learning from leaders like you and others that we're fortunate and honoured to have on the series, we go, God, I wish I'd known that when I first began out mm. in my career. Mm. I look back and I think as a, a young officer in the army, um, how inept I was. And if only I knew the things I know now, God, I would have been such a great leader and not the very average, crumbly, sort of poor leader that I was and learning a long road of learning. But, you know, from that point of view, advice, best bit of advice, what, 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 What's the bit of advice you wish you'd been given at the very beginning of your career when you went into merchant banking, for example? What was the, the one bit of advice you wish you'd given way back then that would have served you so well? Well, listen and observe and learn. I think that is certainly something I wish I'd done more about. Uh, needing to bring people with you, as I, I've already mentioned. But also, if something's not right, do something about it. You know, a lot of people are, you could be a victim or a chooser. So you, you say, poor me, isn't it terrible? It's a terrible situation. Whereas actually, I think if something's not right, you need to say, okay, what can I do about this? What are my options? What else could I think about? And that's why I've changed um, my career a few times, actually, because things weren't right. And I decided to do something about it. And even if you uh, look into different situations and you reject them because... Um, you don't think it's right you'll feel better in yourself that you've done that uh, and you need to find the right way and the right thing for you to do rather than just stay stuck in the job i mean do you live to work or do you work to live and i think you know you we spend so much time at work and what we're doing we have to do something we enjoy and uh we want to be good at not just stay in a job and, and i think a lot of people sometimes unfortunately can't really afford to take risks and change because they've got families to feed and things of that nature. But at least you can, you know, hopefully do better in what you're doing. But that, that, that's the sort of advice I've kind of would mm. like to have known earlier. And uh, that's the sort of mantra I try and teach my children to, mm. to think about. I, I think it's yeah. very good that victim or chooser. I love that. And um, yeah, over to you, Ben. Yeah, being willing to take some of those risks can be can be quite difficult sometimes um, to, to take those sort of jumps with with, the, with your career. It can be yeah, yes, quite tough I to agree. do. Yeah, 
Um, and uh, d- just yeah, curiosity, what what was the sort of biggest risk that you took in your your um, sort of career path? Do you, do you think? Well, I um, I left the merchant banking and went into the police. That was quite a radical step. Mm. People may have sort of said. But yeah. uh, I don't regret the time in the police. I learned a lot uh, about in that time, certainly about life. Mm. And having been away at boarding school since the age of seven, I had quite a bit of life to learn. Um, and then I wanted to get a degree. And obviously, I did that part time in the police, which was quite hard work in three years. Mm. But I'm glad I then decided I wanted to do something more with it. And I went and got a professional qualification. So I suppose the biggest risk was leaving the police, going back to sort of law school for a year. Um, I had a mortgage at the time, and my father mm. helped me with that. Uh, and then, obviously, uh, I then obviously qualified to be a bit of barrister uh, and to go down that sort of route. So that was probably the biggest risk. And then from leaving the bar to becoming a solicitor wasn't so much of a risk. And also, I think, I suppose, setting up your own business. That was quite a yeah. risk 10 years ago. And uh, yeah. Yeah. there was a client who persuaded me to do it, and I thought, well, why not? Let's just get on with it and uh that's what i did so i don't yeah. regret that now and was, so was that um, just coming out of the financial crisis yeah so you started yeah so yeah. probably a good good well, time was to, also uh, i started it also at the time i was going through a divorce so you know that's stressful <laughs> stressful episode but get um, all the stress done all at once i, 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 <laughs> yeah. I, I did it and it, it worked so um, yeah i'm pleased i did it so i think you know you have to you know do something about something if it's not right and yeah move on and i think you'll feel feel better for it yeah definitely i i stopped running my business during the financial crisis <laughs> because it was uh, yeah it destroyed my business but mm-hmm. um but a, another great learning moment but um uh and and this comes on to our next question just about sort of learning from your darkest moments so um the experience you've sort of gone through is there a, a sort of darkest moment and what what did you learn well, I think, um, yeah, probably my darkest moment was my divorce. I realised that really, well, I had a choice. Do I stay in an unhappy marriage for the sake of the children or I do something about it? And I decided to do something about it. And then I had to take it step by step, um, you know, at my, at my ex-wife's pace, as it were, who to move her in the right direction, and we did that. And at the time, actually, someone advised me to get some counselling, and I did that, and that really helped and actually, it's quite interesting with that cancer when you look back at the journey you took and how you did it. So my achievement, what, what I wanted to achieve was to become divorced, but for it not to interfere with my relationship with my children and to be done in an amicable and reasonable way where we didn't have to go to court or do any of those sort of horrible um, antagonistic things. And it took me two years, but by the end of it, I'd achieved that objective. Um, we still speak. My children have never asked me anything about it and we have a, a, a good understanding relationship um, and I'm a lot happier as a result I think probably she is um, it's a sad indictment but you know that was the right thing I think to do at the time and I just got on and did it and mm. you do go through some dark times but you have to um, remind yourself why you're doing it and you're doing the right thing and this could be also in terms of difficult business decisions as well you know, you need to know what you're doing and why you're doing it and have the um, energy and determination to get through and succeed. Yeah. Yeah, I think the um, there's a sort of healthy 
thing that I tell myself in, in tough times that um, actually it's something I, I think applies to almost any, any time in your life, good or bad, um, this will pass. So mm. if, you, if, you, if you think that you're going to have um, your like, time with your children all the time, it, it, you won't enjoy, enjoy all, the, all the, the moments with your children, um, the bad times will pass, get through to the other side. I think it's, uh, it's a good way of sort of looking at things. I think there's also that awful cliche, I know you're only on this earth once, but actually as time's gone on, I began to think about that far more. And mm. then, you know, you, as you especially get older, and therefore, actually, you know, you can enjoy life more if you allow yourself to. So you yeah. need to be doing the right things to ensure you do that. Uh, uh, and uh, you, you will enjoy life more. Hmm. Definitely. A couple of comments just uh, from, from, from the stream. So Catherine has um, just said, has, have you ever uh, had a mentor or, or a coach? Um, I, I believe sort of looking at your sort of career, um, career sort of mentor or coach. Yes, I have. I know Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Um, yes, I have had a coach from time to time, and I think everyone probably needs that. And really, I think coaches are very useful because what they do is they ask you the right questions mm. with, and the, in supplying the answers you, then helps you know what you need to do. So yeah, I think they're very useful. I agree. Definitely. And also um, from Ivana, what gave you the confidence to actually take those, um, those career risks? Um, because I knew it was the right thing to do. So as I've said, I, I looked at the options, explored those options and thought, right, well, okay, this is what I think I should do. And I thought I've got to have the confidence to go and do it. And, um, because I was convinced that it was the right thing for me to do. Um, I didn't think it was too much of a risk. So mm. I just got on with it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I know we sort of touched on darkest moment, but it'd be nice to sort of um, touch on a more lighter, lighter side. Have you got any humorous, humorous stories well, from uh, your I remember, your um, yes, I remember having, when I was at Thomas Agar, I had a team, uh, three of us, and uh, we were going to see a new client for lunch, or prospective client for lunch. It was a TV company, and we were going to meet the HR director. So I said to the guys on the way over, look, Make sure you behave, behave yourself. You know, if we um, if we do do this well, we'll get a very good client from it. So we got to this restaurant, and sat down, and we had a nice lunch. And then I was uh, looking at the dessert menu, and uh, there was on the dessert hot chocolate banana dessert. And I said, "Oh, I quite like the idea of that." So this lady, HR lady, said, "Well, why don't you um, why don't you have have one? Go on." So a couple of the others wanted dessert. So we had this hot chocolate dessert. Anyway, it arrived uh, at the table on this sort of metal plate. And she was sitting on my right in a, a T-shirt and trousers because it was TV. So you imagine they were dressed down quite uh, casually. And my other two members of the team were opposite. So as I put my fork to uh, go into this banana dessert, unfortunately, my fingers touched the bottom of this red hot palette. I picked my fork back. And I put chocolate and banana all down her front and her hair. See? And you could see the look of horror on her face for a moment. <laughs> anyway, she rushed off to the toilet. And my, and my two team members said, thank God that wasn't me. Anyway, she came back and I apologized profusely, blah, blah. And I sent her some flowers the next day saying, forgive me for the banana drama. And she emailed back saying, you're totally forgiven. You've got the work. 
<laughs> so having thrown chocolate and banana down the front, we got the works. So that was uh, that was quite funny, quite interesting. <laughs> That's one way to break the ice. I yeah. thought she was going to return by slapping it all over you, like with the sort of custard pie thing. No, no, she was very good natured, but it could have gone one of two ways. <laughs> Luckily, it went the right way, but uh, you know. But not a drama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and then uh, from humour to what about you know, your proudest moments in your life when you look back on the many things well, you've done? And um, you've... Yeah, I think, um, I suppose. Um, I became head of house um, largely because. Um, well, school, because well uh, I was at boarding school, and um, what I'd done is I'd shown some leadership there, according to the housemaster. Anyway, we had a, an inter-house gymnastic competition, and I managed to persuade most of the house to go along and do a, a routine. And although they weren't very good, we amassed so many marks that nobody else could beat us in the final. So he congratulated me on that, and all the other houses complained. So they then said, okay, well, let's go back to normal. We'll just agree we'll do it on those who go into the final. So we went into the final, um, we had the final, and we lost it by about half a mark. And the housemaster came and said, well done, Nick, you know, congratulations. It's very difficult having to change these things. Anyway, two days later, they came back, so they'd made an error in the calculation, and we won it by half a mark. So, so as a result of all that, he made me head of house. So that was head of house. Um, I remember becoming a, an equity partner at uh, Thomas Ego. So that was a, a good moment. Um, starting Hind Legal was a proud moment. And then obviously I've had four lovely children. Uh, so really pleased about that. And then finally, you know, deciding to do the Atlantic, sell the Atlantic and executing it and doing it well. Again, that was a, a, a nice moment to think, well, that's something we achieved and we did it well. So a number of different things in life, but those are sort of some of the milestones I can think of. Yeah, and, and it's a bit like life. And we, if we can just pull up, Don McIntyre made a lovely comment here, if Ben just brings it up, uh, mm. on your point about enjoying life. You know, it is, it is about the word again. It's a lifestyle choice. And... Um, uh, I find the Stoics and Marcus Aurelius, Epictetus, and Seneca give us great wisdom. You know, you can choose. You know, the, the, the many things you have no control over, but what you have control over is your own actions and your own thoughts and yeah. choices that you personally take. So, great advice. Thank you, Don. Yeah, one thing I, I um, people say about sleeping well and actually having a positive attitude is someone suggested to me you, the last thing before you go to sleep at night, think of th three good things that have happened to you that day. And that hopefully gets your, puts your mindset when you go to bed in a positive frame of mind and then you wake up hopefully in a positive frame of mind as well. Yeah, and very, very true. And I um, have almost formalized that. A bit of advice somebody gave me is a book called the5minutejournal.com. It's a nice hardbound book uh, that you buy directly from the firm. Um, and, and in that, you have to put about the three things that went well that day. But you begin the day with five minutes on uh, what do you appreciate, three things you appreciate in your life, and uh, three things that you look forward to in the day, and who you are. It's it, it sort of affirmation of yourself as a character. I'm you know, strong, I'm resilient, I'm a loving husband, father, whatever it might be. Um, but but I, I find that very good, doing it day and night. And it's very helpful. We've got a comment here from Mike. Can we put on um, Mike Morrison's comment there, Ben? 
Thank you for sharing some difficult moments in your life. Nick, what drives you forward? Of course, we all have choices to make, but what is it that really motivates you? Because you've done an amazing amount of different things. So what, what drives you forward? Um, I think it's determination, really. You know, I, uh, someone described me as Ronsil. I do what it says on the tin. Um, really, it's about, uh, you know, working out where you're going and <clears throat> getting on doing it um, and being that victim chooser type scenario again. So I'm obviously, obviously a pretty driven person. I want to do well and achieve things. And basically that's my sort of mantra. I just get on with it. And every day, even if you have a rubbish day, every day is a new day. So you can park yesterday if you didn't, you didn't feel particularly good about that or you didn't think you did particularly well. But today is a new day. You can get on and you know, do, make a change and make a difference. Sure. So get on and do it. And uh, that's a kind of sort of mantra. Yeah, thanks, Nick. And thanks, Mike. Um, if that reminds me of that, uh, again, little mantra that yesterday is history, tomorrow is a mystery, live for today, be in, be in this moment. You can only step in the same river twice. Yeah. And then what about um, the fan favorite that always Ben used to teach me about, uh, quick fire questions on healthy, wealthy, and wise? What would be your top tip on keeping healthy that you've found you've practically applied? Well, Healthy, I think exercise is key, and it's very difficult, I know, with busy lives to, to actually do exercise. So I've, I've forced myself to, um, I've got a trainer I have once a week. In fact, he's coming this evening. Uh, at least once a week, I, I have a personal trainer, and I get on and do a, a series of exercises, and then I do the rest my, myself. Uh, wealthy, well, um, uh, don't live beyond your means, so you need to manage that and also you know getting a getting a financial advisor at the right stages in life i think um uh pension uh although the people don't save enough early enough for pension i know it's a bit of an anathema to young people and the government now forcing people to pay into pension schemes if they so wish which is a good thing but the more you you know the sooner you get involved in that and understand that and i remember telling my children i said well do you understand what a pension is? I've never really sat down and explained to you about bank accounts and finances and mortgage and overdrafts. Would it be helpful to you? And they said yes. And I hadn't really occurred to me that I should, you know, because they get a bank account, you just assume that they know what they're doing. But actually, they're young and they don't realise these things. So I've, I've had a good chat with them about that. Uh, and then why as well, really, it's about learning from your experiences and uh, your mistakes because you will make them. Um, and, you know, wanted to be a better person and, you know, really you get out of life what you put into it. Mm. And that's kind of the, att the attitude. And, and also if something's not right, as I've said already, then change it or do something about it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And and just sort of looking to the future, what um, what would you like to be your, your sort of legacy? Well, um, I think hopefully my legacy is in my children uh, and what they do in life. Uh, but also I've worked with a number of other lawyers and um, I hope that in working with me that certainly some of them I think have learned a few things which I hope that they take on and use in their sort of practice. Um, I do have some ambitions and plans going forward. Uh, I plan to sell the world in three or four years' time. So I'm already mm -hmm. making plans for that. Um, and, 
wanting to enjoy life and thinking of retirement. I know it's a terrible thing to say, isn't it? But uh, I don't necessarily want to be doing this forever. Uh, and um, so really, hopefully, I will then start to learn to teach sailing and can obviously impart my knowledge and skills in that direction if I decide to scale down the legal advice. Mm. So that's kind of... So that, would that be another another risky career move? <laughs> no, I don't think it'd be risky. There's not much money in it. <laughs> really uh, so hopefully what wealth i have amassed as it were as it such as it is not that great but hopefully that'll tie me through so uh, i can really en enjoy the the hobby that i have and wanting to pass it on to others yeah that'd be quite a quite an undertaking going um around the world well, yeah, I've got, I've got uh, I've already sort of thought about the boat. I've, I've thought mm. I've been reading books about it, and it's not doing it too quickly so that you actually can enjoy it. Because a lot of these um, uh, around the world sort of groups, they do it in quite a short period of time. Mm. So you need to really space it over a few years, three years, really, and you just do bits over the three years. Um, and that way, you've got the time to enjoy it. And also, there's nothing worse than having a um, schedule to meet because then you have to often go out in weathers that you might not want to go out in yeah no. so that, that's a sort of definitely yeah idea about that and then i obviously the next stage probably just do around britain in the, over the next few years uh, yeah closer to home yeah. before going going elsewhere yeah it must take some preparation both both physically and mentally to 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 get ready for for um something like that Yes, it's a very different, um, I mean, we won't go on a tangent, it's a very different mindset from just coastal hopping because you've got to think mm. about the water. How are you going to get mm. water? If you're way a week sort of then to food, how are you going to generate power to run all the systems on the boat? Uh, you know, what about medical stuff? Because you're not going to have anyone nearby to help you. And so there's all sorts of things you need to think about and plan yeah. uh, for that type of sort of voyage. Yeah, yeah. And what sort of crew would you would you, would you have? Uh, probably three or four of us, actually. Right. Um, yeah. And what we might do then is uh, have we, we do the long passages and the wives come out to the nice bits. So when we're in the, the French Polynesian islands, they can come and enjoy nice. the bits and go around there. Whereas uh, the, long, the long ocean passages, we probably would do it on our own rather than uh, worrying about having wives with us. We might not like the look of the waves or the storm or things like that. <laughs> <laughs> So you're gonna to have to have a, a group of people that you you know well and and can. Well, I've, the the crew I did the Atlantic with are pretty interested. So at least two or three yeah. of them, and I think oh, we were more or less there. So hopefully, uh, and that worked very well actually because um, uh, you find out what really what people are like when you're away at sea for weeks yeah, on end, and uh, what, what they really like living in quite close proximity. Yeah, bad habits and all. <laughs> so, um, just sort of looking at uh, at, uh, at some tips around around leadership, and, and it's probably relevant for for um, the choppy waters uh, ahead in, in both the sort of economy and uh, employment. What would you say your sort of top tips for for, for leading in this sort of recovery time? Uh, well, first of all, deal with the deal with the problem sooner rather than later. Uh, mm. which I've already sort of mentioned, otherwise it becomes a, a worse problem. So the sooner you deal with it, and that goes in life, personally and also business-wise. Um, don't put off to tomorrow what you can do today. You know, if you know 
but you always need to prioritize and then obviously um, plan for the plan for the worst and hope for the best uh, you know if you if you do proper planning and you think about eventualities then your ability to deal with them and to tackle difficult issues are far more enhanced because you've already thought about it yeah those would be yeah. my sort of top top sort of tips and and then obviously finally uh, if something's not right do something about it yeah yeah definitely i think that um i think all individually and and um as businesses we we probably need to look at this this sort of crisis planning in a in a more pragmatic way for the future so so we're more prepared for 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 um these these sort of events which although unusual they are going to happen um again and and uh and yeah they've been predicted so so well um it's it's quite quite bad that we were so ill ill prepared um for mm. that for that mm. okay so um final final question and um we always just ask for a, a book recommendation so this can be something that was a book which which has um been important to you um in your life or career or just something that you've really enjoyed during during lockdown well, I've been reading a lot of sailing books during lockdown, as you probably imagine, with my plans ahead. But uh, one book that did spring to mind, and it is a sailing book, but it's called Team Spirit. And it's written by a guy called Brendan Hall, who was appointed the um, skipper of a boat called Spirit of Australia in the 2009 to 2010 clip around the world rock yacht race. And he basically decided that not only did he want to become a skipper, but he wanted to skipper and win the race. So it's his story about how he uh, achieved that objective, and he did win it. So it was his um, skills and preparation which meant that the 44 people, because there's only 18 crew at any mm. one time, but 44 people over the time of the race, because there's several legs, uh, worked as a team and in the right direction to achieve the objective of winning. Uh, and basically 80% of it is man management. And the remaining 20% is skills, etc. And it was his story about that, which I found firstly interesting because it involves sailing. But secondly, from a management perspective, I think a lot of the um, uh, sort of things he did would mm. work just as well in normal businesses rather than just being a sailing crew. I just want to say a big thanks from Ben and myself and everybody who's been listening. Um, Don McIntyre's there saying thanks, Nick, some great insights. And um, it was really very helpful and lovely. Um, as with all our inspiring leaders, you come across with the three hums, humility, humanity, and a good amount of humor. So thanks for your time. We've really enjoyed it, Ben and I. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you very much for inviting me. So now you've heard from one of the inspiring leaders that I've interviewed, what are you going to do next? If you want to get some more free material, go to my website, jonathanperks.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, Jonathan Bowman Perks. And there you can get access to my books, uh, Inspiring Leadership and Top Tips for Inspiring Leaders. But if you want to actually do something about being a leader and constantly improving your game, raising your performance, get in touch with me about coaching you or one of your team that you want to raise the game for them. It's got to be people who want to be good to great, not people who you're trying to fire. And if you're looking for a motivational speaker, get in touch. Or if you want me to work with your team coach, I would be delighted to help you.